Well, good morning, church. What a powerful video. You know, it'd be so easy for somebody of bold and stature to just say, you know, I am so caught up in football. I mean, this takes so much of my time. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the time to be out there doing these areas of serving and blessing and <laughs> let alone creating a foundation. But we see that's exactly what his testimony is. And it is God that, that pushed him and challenged him in this. And God used people to do this. Listen, I believe that this is a day where God is using people and God is using a message to challenge his followers. He's challenging his followers really to do this, bless others. That's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to be about. Now, I've been doing marriage counseling for about 20 years. Now, not therapeutically, but sitting in my office and listening to married couples and hearing what's going on and trying to assess and then getting them the proper help wherever they need to go. And often it boils down to this. Uh, a couple might share with me what's going on in their marriage, and they often put it in the context of he or she is doing this to me. Can you get them to stop? Can you get them to change? And yet the power what I've seen is when a couple starts to realize, who am I? What am I doing? How do I think? What can I do in this marriage for this marriage to thrive? And so I believe today what the message is and the challenge for us when it comes to blessing others is not asking the question, what will others do? What do others deserve? It is, what will I do? What has God called me to do? What is the challenge God has put on me? And then I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do it. And so that's what we're going to jump into and talk about. And I'm going to use this passage that has become one of my favorite passages in all of God's Word. It's a simple passage. We actually walk through it, but it's worth revisiting this. It's simple. Jesus, at the beginning of his most famous, longest sermon he would teach, he starts out with this umbrella statement. And when I say umbrella, I mean this is a statement that from here on out, you're actually going to see how everything Jesus talks about in this thing we call the Sermon on the Mount fits under this one verse. And this is it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Like Jesus is declaring right here, blessed is this group, this poor in spirit. We'll talk about who they are in just a minute, because they're going to get something. Something is available to them. He calls it the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about exactly what that is and what that looks like here in our context, in our culture, and in our earth, what it looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Can I just tell you for a second before we jump into this? This is a phenomenal verse of hope to our world. Everyone fits into this, this category of Jesus saying, I have a tremendous blessing for you, the very real presence of God. There's tremendous, tremendous hope in this verse. Here's the problem. We have often silenced we have often had less effort in declaring or offering this hope to everyone we come in contact with. It is as, it's as if, it, without us intending to at times, maybe some have intended to, but often without intending, we have actually narrowed our definition of everyone. This happened in Jesus' day as well. In Jesus' day, there was a very narrow view of everyone. 
And so when Jesus came on the scene and he started to share and teach and preach, he looked around and he saw this group that he said they have been excluded from the word everyone. And he turns to them and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He calls them out by name. He says who they are and he says, you are blessed. Hope to this people that was not there, that was not being offered before. Jesus is defining this to them. So let's just jump in and let's ask a question. Who's he talking about when he says poor in spirit? Notice he's not saying poor. He is not just talking about an economic situation. You don't have as much money as someone else, and so therefore you are poor. Blessed are you who are poor. He says poor in spirit. What is he getting at there? Now, we need to really just look at Jesus' day. We need to look at his context. We need to look at the social makeup of his time. Listen, Jesus did not come just for social justice. Jesus did not just come to this earth for social issues. But listen, it would be impossible, and we would be fooling ourselves to think we can understand the gospel if we don't understand the, co the context that Jesus brought the gospel to this world. Because what we found is Jesus stepped right in the middle of social issues, and he shared the gospel, the good news, the hope of who he was and what God was offering to this world through his son, Christ. So let's just look for a second on this issue of poor in spirit and ask from Jesus' day in that context, who is Jesus even referring to? Who is he talking about? The first group he's talking to is the disenfranchised. Now, who is the disenfranchised? Now, if we look at the word disenfranchised, the very definition, if you look it up in the dictionary, is basically that you've been deprived the right to vote. That would be the disenfranchised. But we actually know that that word has broadened to mean much more. So when we use the word, we mean so much more than being deprived the right to vote. We actually mean being deprived basic rights. Being deprived things that are offered someone else or things that are offered to everyone but are taken back from a certain group. We would call that disenfranchised. That describes so many people in Jesus' day who did not have the same rights. They didn't have the same uh, freedoms to, to live out their lives in different ways as others who lived in the same time. And these people were so dear to Jesus' heart that he wanted to make sure he spoke a message of hope to them also. Here's the second group. It's the outcasts. Those who are outcasts. Now, uh, what really is an outcast? How do you become an outcast? Well, really two ways. One, either those who would be uh, more in authority and power, you know, they make you an outcast, or you withdraw yourself from the context around you entirely and become an outcast. Maybe people reach out to you and you reject that, or maybe nobody ever comes and reaches out to you when you're withdrawn, but you become an outcast. Jesus had such a heart for these people, a heart to love them and serve them. And we actually find several of Jesus' healings, we would say those people were outcasts, not simply because they had a condition, but because this, the culture around them decided they had some condition and therefore they were not of value. And so they were outcasted. Jesus speaks to these people. The next is the unclean. Now, you got to understand there's a religious overtone here when we speak of the word unclean. 
If you remember all the way back in the Old Testament when the law was given to Moses, and Moses brought that to the people of Israel, that when Moses brought that, the law was good. The law was used to build life and to give culture to God's people who he had chosen. These were the, the people, this was the nation that God had chosen to really bring his message and his word and ultimately to bring Christ into the world. But there was this period of time, we call it the period of silence, where, where it's in between the Old Testament and New Testament, where uh, there was a kind of a strife going on. There was a group that rose up called the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were like, you know, I think we're done with this law. We don't really think there's any value to it, don't really see any Messiah coming, as people have often declared. I think we're kind of done with this. Or if we're going to use this, let's just use it kind of as metaphors for things. Out of that also rose up this group called the Pharisees. And these Pharisees were saying, no, 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 we can't get rid of the law. The law is so important to, to our culture, to our history, to the nation of Israel. We can't get rid of the law. And they became the champions of the law. This was actually a good thing. But like we do often, it became more about following it to the letter. It became more about what do we do if something's not covered in there, and we'll add to it. And, and it became more about actually holding the law over people religiously to declare if they were okay or not okay. And this term, which was used all the way from the Old Testament, became known as a term that Pharisees would use, and they would call people clean or unclean. Now, you've got to understand what you needed to do to become clean was pretty significant in following the law. And if you were one of these poor in spirit, if you were anyone who fit into these categories of disenfranchised or outcast, chances are you did not have the opportunity or the availability to do all that you needed to do in this religious system. And so what would happen? You were declared unclean. And when you were declared unclean, guess what was off the table? your ability to worship in God's house. So this issue of unclean became a significant thing, a significant way that the religious system actually barred people. The next is just the lower class. This is just how it worked as it's worked in many, many other cultures. Even in our culture, there are these times where the lower class are looked down on. These, this and the lower class Jesus is talking to, people who did not have the means, did not have the same financial resources, not have the ability uh, to do what others had from a financial standpoint. Like sometimes if you think about our, our current day, we might use phrases like we would say the poor class. Think about how that comes off. Or we might even use a phrase third world countries. That's actually us looking at this lower class and thinking of them much the way that people thought of them in Jesus' day. What value does the poor bring? What can they do? And so you can see this class was created. Jesus is speaking to them as well. Next, it's to servants. This is an interesting one because when Jesus speaks to the poor in spirit and servants fall into this category, you got to know there's, there's several different servants. I used to always think that servants in Jesus' day was more like indentured servants. And those existed. They needed to pay off a debt. And so they worked for so many years. Or it was paid servants. Those existed as well in Jesus' day. Those are people who served, but they actually got some type of pay. 
Maybe it wasn't the greatest. Maybe it was even unfair. But some pay came their way. But in Jesus' day, those both existed. But there was also straight slavery in Jesus' day. It didn't center around race the same as as we have thought in American history. But it centered around nationalities. It centered around who of your neighbors could you kind of conquer and who could become uh, those servants to you. And this was going on in the Roman Empire. This was going on in Jesus' day as well. And so Jesus is speaking to the servants also. Now, Jesus is also speaking just to the straight oppressed. The straight oppressed, for whatever reason, somebody had authority or power over them, or they had the ability to actually oppress them in some way, shape, or form. Jesus is speaking to that group. In fact, you would find, if you want to open up the the New Testament, maybe the Gospels and read through them, you will see references to the oppressed over and over and over. So Jesus is speaking to those. Finally, he's speaking to the sinners. Now, this is a really, really interesting one. Because today, when we think about the term sinners, what we think about is there's rules in God's word that we're supposed to follow. There's things we're supposed to do and not supposed to do. If we do those things, we are not sinners. Um, Or excuse me, if we do the things we're not supposed to do, we are sinners. And if we don't, we're not sinners, right? That's kind of how we think about it. But that's not the label in Jesus' time. This was a label that was put on from the religious establishment when they would call sinners. And basically, this is what it looked like. Not, hey, you committed adultery, you're a sinner. That showed up as well. But it was so much broader. In fact, they would actually look at all of these categories above, and they would say, like, if this really defines you, they would throw the word sinner on you. Why? Because they would look at this, and they would say, clearly you're not blessed by God. Clearly you're not part of the, you know, the chosen or maybe the elite, though that word's not used. You're not part of that blessed group. The religious leaders certainly felt like they were. And so they use this word sinners. Listen, it, 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 if you want to just look through the Gospels, especially in the book of Luke, as Luke really gives us insight to this, you will find how many times the religious leaders use the word sinners to describe this whole group of people. Their frustration with Jesus, he comes and eats with sinners. He spends time with sinners. That's how they describe the crowd of everyone. They would use this term and this phrase. Look at this list. This is the poor in spirit. This is who Jesus came to speak this verse to, who he's declaring this to, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what Jesus is saying here. The poor in spirit are the devalued. As he looks around in his culture, as he looks around and looks at the social makeup of his day in the first century, Jesus would say, these are the devalued. These are the people that are are not being drawn to. These are the people that are disenfranchised and oppressed in the list that we just shared. The poor in spirit, as Jesus would say, is the devalued. So what is this verse telling us? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the disenfranchised, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the outcast, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those unclean, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the lower class, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the servants. Blessed are the oppressed, 
Blessed are the sinners. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is offering something to them that has not been offered to them in the social makeup of his day. This is powerful. This is hope Jesus is offering. Now, God has been offering this hope for a long, long time, all the way back from the beginning. But the door had been closed off to this hope for this group, the poor in spirit. And Jesus is kicking it open hard. Say, this is the poor in spirit. And they are blessed. They are blessed. This is a powerful message. What is Jesus declaring? That was, or excuse me, I, I jumped ahead. Why are they blessed? They're blessed for one reason. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is available. What does that mean? Again, we've talked many times in this church to understand that when the word, the phrase kingdom of God is, is shown here, it is not simply meaning heaven eternal. Like one day you're going to pass on and you're going to go to heaven. Like the last couple days, we've done a couple funerals here. Laid to rest an infant and laid to rest somebody in his older years. And our heart knows as we read God's word, as we know with clarity that they are in heaven, eternal. We, we welcome that. We, we are so excited to be able to declare that. But here, when he says the kingdom of God, he's not talking about that heaven eternal. Jesus is talking about the real presence of God. The loving presence of God is available to them. It's available to them. That is what Jesus is saying. You are blessed because the kingdom of God is available to you. Because the kingdom of God, because God's presence wants to draw near to you and be near to you and to show you how much you're valued. That's why you're blessed. You're blessed for that reason. What is it that Jesus is really declaring here? Here's a couple things I want to share with you that I know Jesus is declaring. The first thing is this. He is declaring to this group that you matter. You matter. And I realize in the last couple of weeks, and it really spans beyond this, but it, it's been so highlighted in the last couple of weeks. If you're allowed to say black lives matter or all lives matter or what's the proper way and say this, don't say that. And, and if you say this, you mean this. But if you don't say this, all of that is flying around. Listen, I can't solve that in your heart today. I can't figure that out. But I can tell you this, that Jesus himself, in his social context of his day, what he did was he turned to a group that was not being offered hope, that was not being offered the presence of God. And he turned to them and he says, blessed are you who are poor in the spirit. You matter. You are significant. You are seen by your father. You are seen by his son. You matter is what Jesus is declaring to these people in his day. And this is impactful. This is powerful. And we need to understand how God has called us to do the same thing to anyone, to anyone who is not receiving or doesn't understand the hope of God. Anyone who is not receiving the presence of God or allowed God. Anyone who anything has been barred from, we need them to understand they matter. Here's the second thing Jesus is saying. You are blessed. Look, for you and I, maybe that phrase doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, we, we think sometimes like, you know, hey, 
oh, I got a little bit of extra money this week. What a blessing that is to me. Or somebody took me out to lunch. Oh, that's a blessing to me. We speak in these terms. But in Jesus' day, with this group that we're calling poor in spirit, from a religious institutional standpoint of his day at least, none of them were blessed. Because of how God had created them, where they were at in life, that was an indication to them that they were not blessed. And certainly not blessed like the religious leaders were blessed. And so for Jesus to declare to them, no, you know what? You are blessed as well. You're blessed. That was powerful. That was so welcoming for them to hear and to receive. And when Jesus declares you're blessed, why? Because the kingdom of God is available. Listen, don't get this wrong. They are not blessed because of their condition. They are not blessed because they're poor in spirit. It's not like God came along and said, hey, you know, because you're oppressed, you're blessed. He's saying, listen, even in the midst of your situation, God comes alongside of you and he offers himself. He offers the realness of who he is to you right in the middle of your situation. And he wants to hold your hand and walk you straight through it and right out of it. That is what the kingdom of heaven offers to those who are poor in spirit. You're blessed because of the kingdom of heaven, because of the real presence of God available to you. So I ask the question, what do I do with this? So what do I do with this? Here's the number one thing. I believe I'm called as a person of Jesus Christ. I believe you're Paul called as a person of Jesus Christ through the work of Jesus Christ, through the message of the gospel and what we learn in Scripture, we are called to usher in the kingdom of God to everyone. In the same way that Jesus stands and declares, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of God that we are called to usher in that same kingdom to everyone. Anyone that's been barred up till now from really understanding and receiving the presence of God in his fullness, that's our job to usher in that presence of God to everyone. That's our job. That's what we want to do. Listen, I get to stand here on a stage every week, and I get to share a 30, 35, okay, sometimes longer sermon to you, right? This is not ushering in the kingdom of heaven the way I think Jesus has called me to usher in. He's called me actually to get off this stage and to go interact with people, to build relationships with people, to understand people, and to find a way that I will usher in the kingdom of God into their life. And I will offer and share the real presence of God who wants to hold their hand and walk through and walk them right out of what they're dealing with. And I think God is telling me, hold the other hand and walk with us. That's my number one thing of what we need to do this with this as believers in Jesus Christ. So how do I do this? That's a question. Here's the one thing. Just listen. Listen to the cry of the poor in spirit. Listen in your life for those who are poor in spirit, those who fit into those categories that we shared earlier. Listen. Open your ears and hear. Because if you're like me, I know I've got a lot of opinions. I've got a lot of preconceived ideas and preconceived notions. And they get challenged all the time. And sometimes when they get challenged, what I want to do is I just want to hold my ground and start fighting. But I think the value and where we're talking about this morning 
is that I would close my mouth and I would listen to those who are crying out. The poor in spirit. What are they saying? What are they crying? What are they feeling? Listen and hear their voice. The second thing is that we would empathize with the poor in spirit. You know, empathize is, like, sympathize is kind of like saying, oh, man, I'm so sorry for you. That's terrible. Empathize is like, hey, I am so sorry. What can I do? Tell me more. It's putting ourselves right into the messiness and understanding more. We empathize with the poor in spirit. This is what Jesus did. In fact, you don't believe that? Take a look at the Gospels. Ask yourself one question. Where did Jesus live? Right there among the people. Remember when Jesus said, I have no place to lay my head. Why? Jesus was right there among the people. I mean, he laughed with the people. He cried with the people. He lived among the people. Times he spent nights in the field among the people. There was this empathizing. And furthermore, listen, Jesus stepped out of heaven into the form of a human that he might empathize with you and me. I want to be like Jesus. I know you do. We've got to empathize with those poor in the spirit as well, just as Jesus has done. I think this one's important. We need to act more than you talk. I know for me the challenge is act more than I talk. You like to use your social media? I like to use my social media. Uh, There's important things for us to post at times. Activism can happen through that way, no doubt. But there's power if we would act. If there's power if we would go to God's word and we would say, God, what would you have me do? How would you have me care for somebody and love someone? I hope a couple weeks ago when we shared with you the video of of Catherine Lau and and sharing with Lambert. Listen, I'd love to say, hey, you know, we get all caught up for one moment. And, you know, there's this big serving thing. And it was great, right? But the truth is, she's going on every day trying to serve this family. Every day trying to care for them. That's acting more than you talk. That's what I think God calls us to do. When we look at Jesus, he was constantly acting with everything he did in his life. And I want to do that as well. What's the point of this morning? The point is to understand Jesus coming. Understand the hope that he is offering. And then telling us, let's get out there and be just like Jesus and how we offer hope and unity, how we do that, to get out there and to act, to love people, to care for people, to listen to people, to empathize with people, to empathize with this group that Jesus is talking about, these that are are disenfranchised. The same is not available to them. It's not been offered to them. Or if it's been offered, it's offered with strings, or it's offered and then it's pulled away. That is the context of Jesus' day. And I think, if we were honest, It's very similar to things in even our own day. So it gives us a practical application. It gives us, when we look around at people in our world, people in our own context in 2020, it leads us into those that are disenfranchised, that we can go be a blessing, that we can offer the same life that Jesus offered. Listen, Jesus didn't just offer this life in the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't speak the sermon and then move on and, you know, he was on to something different in his life. He spoke the Sermon on the Mount, and then he lived out the Sermon on the Mount every day. And guess what it cost him? It cost him his life. You don't believe that? Look at why Jesus went to the cross. 
Jesus went to the cross because he was declaring a message of God, a message of hope to everyone. And it was found in him, the son of God. It, it challenged hard the religious establishment of his day. So I look around in our culture, and I just want to leave you with some thoughts of who in our culture, who is it that might be the disenfranchised, those people that we can reach out to? And they, these never fit 100%, uh, these categories, but they're things to make us think about and process through and ask the question, how can I be like Jesus, offering this hope and life in the kingdom of God to these people? Here's the first, people of color. That's been a significant theme in our last two weeks, incredibly significant. And it, it's time for us to, to listen and to hear and to empathize. I remember when I was in college and I was in a youth ministry class. Two youth pastors came to class one day. There was roughly 20 of us in class. And two youth pastors came and they shared a little bit about their story of ministry. One in, in a suburban context, in a foothills region, very large church, and in a fairly nice area of town. Another then shared his story, and he ministered in South Compton. Now, if you're not familiar with South Compton, L.A., that's about 95% African American. And at the end of class, we didn't know they were going to do this, but at the end of the class, they said, hey, one of the components of this class is you need to put in 10 hours of, of kind of like work or volunteer hours in one of these two youth ministries. And these youth pastors are going to kind of serve as your mentors and your leaders and your overseers, do your paperwork and that kind of stuff. It was a shock to me that at the end of the day, there was 19 that signed up to go to the foothills and one that signed up to go to South Compton. That happened to be me. And I remember going down to South Compton, and I was fairly athletic, and I got a little respect because I was five, seven and a half, and I could hang on a, a basketball hoop. But outside of that, this is a context I had never been in before. And I went in with these preconceived ideas and notions, and they were absolutely blown away. The most incredible people that I got to spend time with. And that was an amazing year and time, and I actually kept going back after those 10 hours. But here's when I look back what I didn't do. As much as I built relationships and enjoyed basketball and had a good time, I never sought to understand. I never sought to ask questions. I never thought about to empathize with what is life like when we leave the basketball court? What does it look like down here? These reputations of South Compton, like where do they really come from? You see, we have to understand that in our day and age, people of color, many fit into the disenfranchised. And we have the opportunity to offer the hope of Christ. However that looks like, I don't know. We need to keep learning. But we have that opportunity today. The second is different ethnic groups. And I love that, that anywhere you go now in our nation, just about anywhere, there will be people of different ethnic groups. And we have this opportunity to engage with people from different cultures. And God has said, Love these people. These are amazing people. Build into their life. Help them through some of the difficulties that they might face being in a different country or learning new things. Walk with them. Love them. Offer the hope of Jesus Christ to them. The poor. Jesus actually declares this. The poor will always be with you. 
Now, in this context, Jesus is speaking about something totally different, but it's a reminder to us there will always be people that we can reach out to and love and serve in the poor, that we can bless them. And though we call on you and we challenge you to give, to financially give to those that are in need, and you have responded incredibly so often. In fact, I don't think we've ever asked for some financial support where you have not come through. And I thank you for that. But I think there's more we could do with the poor. We can get our hands dirty. We can get a little messier. We can empathize a little deeper in serving those that are disenfranchised in this way. Women. Now, we don't have the time, nor am I the best person to walk through uh, that, that fight and battle of women over the course of American history. But the truth remains that there are some opportunities that are not as widely open to women. And so as Christians, we want to champion that. You might say, well, Tom, what are, you, what are you talking about? Come on, where are you going with this? Even in our church context alone, there are many churches that they are not opportunities for women. Now, we're in an egalitarian system here. What does that mean? That means if you are a female and you feel called to pastor, then you can pastor in the Wesleyan church. We want that. We're proud of that. We want those opportunities. And when we say pastor, we don't mean you can pastor the nursery, right? We mean anywhere, anyhow, anyway, preaching on Sunday morning, go for it. It's wide open to share the word of God. And so we want to champion those because often women have been disenfranchised in certain areas. The broken. These are people that life has broke them down. It could have been from addiction. It could have been from a loss in their life. Uh, it, 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 whatever it may be, these are people that have just been broken, and it's just hard to recover and get back at it. And we're good at blessing these people for a short period of time, and I'm calling on us to bless these people continually to stay with them, to keep the phone calls coming, to keep the care coming for him, them, keep the support coming from them, keep loving them, offering the kingdom to them. The grieving fit into a similar category, those who have a, a deep loss. They've not been able to overcome grief. And they struggle with it all the time. To bless them, to offer the kingdom to them. And then finally, this category that I, I kind of made up, this not church people category. A broad category of, of people that just don't quite fit into the, you know, quote-unquote kind of people that roll into our churches. But these could be people that, who have vastly different religious systems and religious thoughts than we have. All the way down to people who would say, you know what, God doesn't even exist. These are the not church people. These are people that we need to love and serve. These are people that are, or maybe we don't think of them the same way as disenfranchised, but these are people that when we look at, we would say they need to be offered and understand the kingdom of God because I really believe that they probably have never really caught a glimpse of the real loving presence of God. And so we got to keep offering that to them. This is the who. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is the call on us to go and to, to usher in that kingdom to the poor in spirit. We don't live in Jesus' culture, so we can't do it in his culture. But we can do it in our context, in our day, and there are plenty available for us to go usher in the kingdom of God just the same as Christ did in his day. That's what I call us to, church. I ask us 
to get on our knees before God, to say, God, how would you use me? And then to get out there and to do it, to act, whatever that looks like. Let me pray with you. Father, what a journey you've been taking me on, challenging my heart in so many areas. Lord, I would always say, in my whole Christian life, I'd say, man, I really love people. I really love people. But the truth is, at 24 years of marriage, I understand how to love my spouse much, much deeper and richer than I understood 24 years ago. And I was pretty in love. Father, I believe that there's a deeper way that you're calling us to love people if we would get before you and we would continually ask you to work on us, to challenge our heart, and then to act upon your word, to act upon your calling in our life, to go do it, to get messy if, it, if need be, but to offer the grace and mercy that you offer to us, to usher in the kingdom of God to anyone, to anyone who that might have been held back from. Lord, lead us to do it. This is a time in our culture where the church can be the leading force to make this happen because we come with something that we believe is so much richer and stronger and deeper in the love of you that if we would unleash it, Father, what a blessing it would be to everyone. But you're looking at us and you're saying, I want to use you. You're the avenue. You're the way I want to accomplish it. And so, Lord, would you just flood our hearts with love? Would you open our ears wide to hear your call? And then would you give us strength to get out there and do it, putting off reasons or excuses why we wouldn't? And we'll pray this in your son's name, thanking you. Amen.